Hey, lab rats. Welcome to Crime Keeper. 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 Igor here. So glad to be back. Looking forward to providing you with a consistent feed bag of Crime Keeper goodness once again. Also chomping at the bit to get into this episode, but I will give a little news flash tidbit as well as end with a beakers up. This story moved me just like I had eaten a prune pie emotionally. Newsflash. 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 How do you like that? According to the New York Times, this story is from the 21st of May. Bodies pulled from parched Lake Mead stir wise guy ghosts of Las Vegas. And of course, V and I were just recently there a few weeks ago, but this is real interesting. Get this. As Lake Mead dries up because of global warming, there have been bodies that have been found. Now, the water is only at 30% full, and it's that that's the lowest level it's been since it was filled during the Great Depression. There was a body found that was in a barrel, one semi-buried in the sand, which was located by a paddleboarder and her friend, my worst nightmare. Let me tell you, I love to paddleboard, but... As I am out there doing my thing, taking in the nature, feeling one, those thoughts do pop up. I have to squelch them. That once when I was in Michigan, and I was, this is true, paddleboarding near a nuclear plant, I had uh, visions of these lily pads being moved and upcoming Godzilla. Anyway, back to the story. Las Vegas PD says the barrel body victim died from a gunshot wound and was dated back to the mid-70s, early 80s. The article then goes on to reference uh, the history of mob violence in the area. Of course, it's Las Vegas. Also mentioned the Mob Museum, which we were recently in front of, like I said, when we were in Vegas. We were in front of there. We were taking a ghost tour while we were there for CrimeCon. And this, uh, this next... (laughs) Little uh, line here says, an Elephant Butte Reservoir. Of course, it's spelled Elephant Butt-E. So, Elephant Butt. I know I'm a five-year-old. This is in New Mexico. A bachelor party stumbled across a fossil of a mastodon that was millions of years old, the skull they found. Utah 2021 in Lake Powell, it held a vehicle that had plunged 600 feet off a cliff that killed the driver. Archaeologists are being given a second chance due to all this situation with the climate to study newly emerged indigenous dwellings. A forensic anthropologist stated the increasing temperatures could reshape her profession due to these type of discoveries. So finding the bodies, they could even close cold cases. And as they did in one instance where in a 20 in 2014 Texas, there was a truck with a female body located in it. They were able to use dental records to ID her. She had been missing since 1979. So a little news flash there for you. So that was a little tidbit I wanted to share. Now we're going to go on to our main event. thought I would start with just a little bit of history. Again, we're talking today about the disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi in the mystery of the Vatican graves, which I'd heard uh, several years ago didn't know a lot about it or didn't really remember. So as as usual, as I was getting into the research, remembered some more stuff, dug into a little bit more that I uh, found I needed to try to quelch that thirst for in that area. So let's get into it. According to history.com, 
Vatican City goes back to the fourth century when there was a basilica or basically a church that was built over St. Peter's grave in Rome. It eventually, because of this, evolved into a pilgrimage site and then a commercial district. I guess people just hung there and was like, hey, I've got to have somewhere to eat, drink, poop, and pee. And it was abandoned after the papal court moved to France in 1309. I am not going to give you an extensive history, just setting the scene. The papal court did move back in 1377, they started to build landmarks such as the Apostolic Palace, Sistine Chapel, and St. Peter's Basilica. Vatican City was established in 1929, which I guess I always thought had been around. Popes held the power over papal states that were regional territories until 1870, when the Italian government claimed most of the land outside of the city walls. This caused a fight between the church and the government for 60 years until, like I said, 29 rolled around and good old Benito Mussolini was the one that signed the pact, establishing that city, that's what I'm going to call it, as a sovereign entity separate from the Holy See, S-E-E, and granted the church $92 million as compensation because they lost those papal states. Of course, we know that it is home of the Pope and the Roman Curia, as well as the Catholic religion's 1.2 billion followers. It is settled on 109 acres, has its own banking and telephone systems, post office, pharmacy, newspaper, radio and television stations. So again, it's its own place. 600 citizens live there, including the Swiss Guard and a security detail that protects the Pope. What's it like to live there? I ran across an article from a journalist we're about to talk about, that we're going to talk about here, because I was curious as what it was like to live there, obviously, but also for a woman. According to Magdalena Walenska-Ridi, a journalist from Poland, it's like being part of a royal court. She says, of course, there are the high walls surrounding it, as well as locked gates at night, and they're reopened at 6 a.m., She's one of 400 people. Now, she said uh, this article is from 2018. The other article, I'm not sure what year it was from. So fluctuation there, obviously. She said there were 30 laywomen, um, which means they're not related to the church or church activities in any type of work sense. She says she feels the respect the men have for them meaning those women. She points out that 110 of those 400 living there are soldiers, plus they have 150 police on duty 24 hours a day, but those police don't reside there. They're just assigned there and then they go somewhere else. There are 300 cameras throughout the city to ensure the Pope's safety. She said she and her family run into the Pope in the gardens. How odd would that be? I don't know. He's probably not wearing the big hat. Probably wearing a tiny hat. Oh, maybe a tiny cowboy hat. That's what I like to envision it. She mentioned she's happy to, quote, follow the rules that apply, i.e. to the faithful attending Holy Mass. She's not able to bear her shoulders in the streets, wear short skirts or shorts, despite it getting up to 104 degrees, even in the shade. Of course, there are no loud parties either. She says, quote, you have to be modest and calm down after dark. I do that anyway, because I'm like 80. But this is because it's the Vatican City, due to being within ancient walls in the shadow of the Apostolic Palace where Pope Francis lives. Now, I'm not a religion person. 
I'm not pro-Catholic church, so just know that. If that's going to bother you, then you probably want to skip the rest of this because it may pop up. So let's talk about the first disappearance. Yes, there's more than one besides Emanuela. Now, we're going to first talk about Mirella Gregori. She was born October 7th of 67. This happened in 83, 1983, 40 days prior to Emanuela. Both of these disappearances remain unsolved. So I guess that's a spoiler alert. This starts with Mirella leaving home saying she had a date with an unknown person from school. Unknown schoolmate. And like I said, this was in 1983. And on December 15th of 85, her mother recognized a man in the papal escort, which also ironically is the name of my new band. And she said this was the person who picked her daughter up on many occasions, like in front of their home, was hanging around. I could not find anything more about that. No other specifics. For whatever reason, Morella is not as well known or documented, at least where I could find in the usual spots that had much information. So I have some idea of why that is, but... So this dude was Raul Bonarelli. So we're going to talk about Bonarelli here in a few minutes. So let's put a pin in that. But what this led to is a, an extremist Turkish group called the Grey Wolves. Not sure how. There's not a lot there that gives me any indications of that there were calls like there were in Emanuela's case or not. So this extremist group was claiming involvement in the abductions and release of the former attempted assassin of the Pope just a few years prior, and his name was Adka. They also said they were connected to the disappearance of a Soviet journalist, Oleg G. Bitov, from the Venice Film Festival in September of 81. So in come this group, as happens, unfortunately, and they say, hey, we did this, and of course, we want one of ours back. We'll exchange for you. Nothing ever came of it. So keep that in mind here. We got Bonarelli. We got the Grey Wolves now. 40 days later, on June 22nd, 1983, Near the Vatican City, 15-year-old Emanuela Orlandi left her flute lesson to speak with someone about an Avon sales job. So she had mentioned to her sister, hey, I've got this sales opportunity for Avon. I didn't think that would be a big thing around the Vatican. You know, I don't know, maybe lipstick makes you feel good when you're going around maybe see the Pope in the garden. Now her father worked for the Vatican Bank, but I've also seen it as that he was a clerk slash special events office organizer who worked with uh, the papal audiences. So he organized and arranged people to meet the Pope. He, it also says in a source that he was a Vatican messenger. So there's some speculation there. He was connected to the Vatican. Two days after this, her family started getting calls. Two different men called and said they'd seen Emanuela prior to her being incommunicado. One said that he saw a girl with a flute with the same characteristics as her and provided information only known to the family. Other friends of hers said men had been following her, including a few months prior when her friend Raffaella Gugel said she was followed. Maybe it's Google. I'm, I'm trying to be fancy. Raffaella's father said an abduction was being planned 
after the attempted assassination of the Pope. I guess the Grey Wolves, I don't know, some, you know, force, some dark force was there trying to organize this. Within a week, more than 3,000 flyers with her photograph were handed out after Emanuela went missing and the Pope himself began asking for her release by those responsible on July 3rd, but he did get involved. Two days, so 7-5, after his plea, the family started getting calls from an American dude saying he was connected to the two initial callers who I'd mentioned previously, and their names were Pierluigi and Mario. The American said that Emanuela was safe and and would be returned in exchange for this Adka, his full name, Mehmet Ali Adka, a Turkish assassin, like I said, who attempted a previous assassination. Letters then began to arrive at news stations by the Turkish Anti-Christian Liberation Front, or T-A-C-L-F, Talkaf. Real catchy. They again were demanding Atka's release in exchange for Emanuela. Now, Atka's comments on her disappearance have changed a lot over time, as they often do. In the 90s, he said, oh, she was in a convent. In 2006, um, her abduction, along with Marella, were intentional to secure his release, which, again, that's been claimed prior to him saying that. In 2010, he was released from prison. 2011, Antonio Mancini said her disappearance was one of several kidnappings that were made by the mafia, known as the Bando della Magliana, and were part of an extortion effort to get money back from the Vatican. 2012, Italian authorities unsealed the tomb of Enrico de Pettis, a gangster that had passed in 1990 because he was said to have been related to the kidnapping and they were hoping they could get his DNA. However, nothing came of it. Enter 85-year-old piece of ace, Father Gabriel Amor, chief exorcist of the Vatican, which made me wonder, do you like get this posting through ZipRecruiter? You ready for this? Papa Don't Preach says Emanuela had been abducted by a secret cabal of Vatican police and foreign diplomats for a sex party, quote unquote, and then was murdered and her body disposed of. Evidence, you ask? None that he could provide. Now, I obviously, as you know, love a conspiracy theory, but is it conspiracy when you have established stories? So many stories related to the Catholic Church about sex scandals, oh, i.e. child pornography, oh, i.e. molestation. And if you haven't, you need to watch The Keepers on Netflix about the whole saga. I won't go into it, but it's really good and it gives more evidence this type of thing. So do I put credence in this? Uh, Yeah. But unfortunately, or maybe it was covered up, they couldn't find any evidence. None was provided at that point. In 2018, human remains were located during the renovation of the Holy See's embassy in Rome. They were thought to initially belong to Emanuela and Morella, but were found to be from a bloke 2,000 years ago, like Apologesis or something. Then... The family attorney got an anonymous letter of a picture of the statue of an angel. So here's a letter. Don't know what the letter said, but this picture of the statue of an angel in the Teutonic Cemetery inside the Vatican. And it said, if you want to find Emanuela, search where the angel looks. So like some real damn brown shit, you know? 
The family then, her family, petitions the Vatican to have the two tombs below the angel opened in July of 2019. Now, these tombs belonged, and I'm going to butcher this, one to Princess Sophia of Hohali, Waldenburg slash Bartenstein, which totally sounds like a Mike Myers name. And I did just finish the first season of The Pentaveret on Netflix. And Princess Sophia, who died in 1836, along with the other tomb of Duchess Charlotte Frederica of Mecklenburg Schwerin. And she passed in 1840. They were like, hey, we'll go ahead. We're the Vatican. We'll let you dig in there, right? What did they find? Nothing. Not even any bones of anyone. They said the tomb showed signs of being quote unquote recently opened, whatever that means. Recent as what? A couple hundred years? Recent as like, I don't know, yesterday? Didn't say. So my questions obviously are, where's Manuela? Where's Morella? Where are the two princesses? And like I'd mentioned before, why did Emanuela's case get so much more attention than Morella? And it could go to family. Morella, maybe she didn't have a family member that had a higher connection with the church. Maybe it was the proximity. I don't know. The calls that Emanuela's family were getting, all the other attention that was being focused or pulled into focus. I'm not sure, but I feel really bad for both families. It always boggles my mind, and I'm sure many people feel the same way, over where the focus is on the media and what, who controls that narrative. It's just maddening. Looking on to darkideas.net, got a few more tidbits of information here. Emanuela was the only citizen of Vatican City to be a suspected abduction, probably murder as well. And it goes into some theories, right? Runaway or groomed for abduction. So more calls that we're going to get into here. So three more calls. She was late for school that day, like I said. She relayed to her sister on the phone that she was going to be meeting a man who offered her an Avon job. And this visitation or this actual visit was backed up by a traffic officer who saw them getting into a green BMW. Okay, so so keep that in mind. Green BMW. On the 25th of June, a quote-unquote young man provided Emanuela's outfit she was wearing the day she vanished which included her flute, and I mentioned the flute before, and claimed she had cut her hair and referred to herself as Barbarella. Now, my dad loved Barbarella. He loved the cheesy movies, which is where we get it from, V and I. This movie came out in 1969. I had to look it up. This is uh, the 80. It's just an interesting thing. And I mean, was she allowed to like even know about that? But she is a teen, so kudos to her. This tip was of interest and the the police's interest was piqued by this as the flute detail had not been released but mentioned so that kind of made it more legit for the popo this bloke also said she mentioned the avon job and that she'd run away so to a complete stranger i'm assuming hey got this great job my name's barbarella and i and i sell avon again it sounds like a mike myers thing you know, I know we're talking about disappearance, but, you know, Barbarella with an Avon job and a green bean. Anyway, then a bar owner 
called and said that Emanuela was referring to herself as Barbara, but didn't say anything about that she was a runaway. The police at this point felt like these stories were variations around one narrative. And that is she ran away, the Avon, there were, you know, basically connections that she didn't want her life. She wanted something else. Apparently the high glamorous non-Vatican job of Avon. Nothing against Avon. Do they still sell Avon? Now, if we talk about the Morella connection, in 2018, a new witness from a new anonymous witness claimed to be a Vatican Monsignor, and he said that she'd been lured into an apartment in the Rome suburbs and she had been kept there, ultimately being murdered by the same group that took Orlandi. So these Grey Wolf dudes, July... A man known as the American, of course, started calling the Vatican and her parents saying he was with the Grey Wolves. He demanded, of course, Akka's release and provided a few pieces of evidence he was in the know regarding Emanuela. One, he played a recording of her voice over the phone. And two, he left a photocopy of her ID in a chapel. Now, I was kind of thinking like, okay, how easy would it be in the 80s to get those things? I mean, we were recording stuff on the radio all the time and we try to time it so you wouldn't get the commercials, but just the song. And then as soon as you heard like jump, come on, you'd scurry and take it off of like on hold or whatever and try to just get the whole thing without the DJ. It's possible. Maybe a friend did it. I mean, as far as the recording and someone else got a copy of it, then her ID, I don't know she could have left that somewhere. So I'm not saying there's foul play, but I'm just, you know, my mind was thinking, well, how easy was it to obtain that? Then two other groups jumped on the bandwagon and said, hey, we also are holding Emanuela. One group said, oh yeah, well, we can one-up you, man. We got Morella too. Nothing came of it. Okay, so was there a cover-up? We're gonna start talking about some covers-upses. What the first was mentioned is the East German Stasi in the Italian S-I-S-D-E. Don't know what that stands for. So, government. An Italian reporter once located a mechanic who fixed a window of a green BMW, remember, but was subsequently told to stop investigating this lead when the owner was revealed. Hmm. Hmm. Bury the evidence. Bury the lead. Another witness says he saw Emanuela going into her neighbor's property near the Austrian border and the owner of that property Emanuela was purportedly going into happened to work for Italian intelligence government. The dude's name that was seen that owned the property that Emanuela was going into? Toffenbach. T-E-U-F-F-E-N for Nancy, B for boy, A-C-H. I'm going to say Toffenbach. It may be Toffenbach. Now, this Toffenbach also happened to be associated with the Teutonic Knights of the old Austro-Hungarian Empire and the site where the tomb was dug also occurred at the Teutonic College. So I'm thinking where the princess graves are is there in the Vatican and that's part of the Teutonic College I don't know no geographies, especially of the Vatican. 
if I can't figure out how to get around in my neighborhood without my nav system, and I've lived here for over a decade, I'm going to know how about no Vatican geographies. Now we get to our pal. Again, let's unpin his name, Raul Bonarelli. He was a priest working at the Central Office for Vatican Vigilance. I think constant vigilance from Harry Potter. But I forget the, it was the one eye guy that had the mechanic eye. He's probably screaming um, at me right now. Anyway, his phone, Raul's phone, was tapped by intelligence services. And in the recording, his boss allegedly tells him to deny knowledge of any part of the investigations into the Orlandi case, saying, look, yeah, of course we know about it. You like cork it. Like I said before, Morella's mommy insists that Raul used to meet her outside their home. I would love to find out more about that. I just, I mean, did she think it was nothing? But if it was so common, maybe to to meet people that are higher up in the church, maybe she thought it was a good thing, which is so sad. But, you know, oy. the mafia, here's another one. The Mafia. Now, the Banda della Magliana is an organization whose name has been mentioned after losing a substantial fortune after a bank crash in 1982. So, here's the link. Vatican was a major shareholder, and they could have been blackmailed by them to regain their fundage, which, by May of 84, the Vatican had actually refunded $440 million to creditors of Banco Ambrosiano. So they were wondering, had the blackmail worked? Hmm. Now, Morella's father was said to work at the Vatican Bank. That is the first time that I had seen that in one, I saw that in one place. I kept digging in others. But I guess because, and I don't know if he knew, um, I'll have to check into that more, if he had a connection to Emanuela's father. I didn't see anything, but I i didn't specifically research that more. So I'll focus on that and get back to you. Yeah. He did work at the bank or so it was purported, but the focus was shifted to her friend, Raffaella Gugel, as her dad was employed as an assistant to Pope John Paul the Deuce and a chamber aide to Pope Luciani. There was a friend that had a higher connection, they felt, or, or had something else going on. Prior, and this is a something else going on, prior to Emanuela's disappearance, the Gugels had been harassed, causing them to change their phone number, as well as Raffaella being followed and having two psychos try to force her into a car. Going back to the one, um, I, I don't remember his title, Monsignor or whatever, who said it could be like a sex party. Let's talk trafficking. All right, let's make it, let's make it less porn sounding and more what it is. Human trafficking, sex trafficking. I don't know why they just don't come out and say it. Emanuela and Morella were supposedly said to look similar. I don't think so. They have dark hair. They have like brown hair. But I really don't see in the face, you know, their eyes are different. Their noses are shaped different. Their faces are shaped. To me, they don't look the same. But maybe from a little bit of a distance, you could maybe see a connection there, a, a similarity. If we go back and talk about the graves, again, of those princesses, there was a trapdoor that was located when the tombs were open. 
they found, of course, that's where they, they found the bones. I guess nothing more happened about it because, again, I tried to look up updates on all of this. Nothing. We all know DNA takes a long time, but it, they weren't found. None of the D DNA was found to be that of Emanuela or Morella. Sadly, maybe that gives us hope. Probably not after 40 years. According to Heavy.com, Vatican said the remains of the princesses could have been relocated elsewhere when the Teutonic College was um, renovated in the 60s and 70s. Those two hidden chambers actually found thousands of bones. Emanuela was on, on a bus to her flute lesson, which we had mentioned before. She was last seen wearing a white shirt, jeans, and tennis shoes. She actually had asked her brother if he would come with her to her lesson, but he declined and they fought. So yes, I'm sure he totally feels like an asshole. Friends that were in the class with her say she was distracted throughout the lesson and actually asked to leave early. She was last seen around 6.50 speaking with a red-haired woman. And again, we got the green BMW with an Avon bag nearby. This kind of stuff can tend to develop later after people hear little bits and pieces. It solidifies what they've been saying, more support. In 2012, when Father Amorth accused the Vat Popo of being the perpetrators, he also said that they, of course, used her, murdered her, but that there was a network involving diplomatic personnel from a foreign embassy to the Holy See. He believed Emanuela ended up in a, ended up a victim. Now, her brother, Emanuela's brother, Pietro Orlandi, feels the Vatican knows exactly what happened. Pope Francis, he said, seemingly added to this, when he told Pietro when they met that his sister was in heaven. I can see why he would feel that way. I mean, looking through his lens of, of complete sadness and remorse even, a lot of people would say that. She's in heaven now because it's been so long. But I can, I can understand where he's coming from. And especially if they were supposed to know what happened. And he feels that they're holding things back and they probably are. He goes on to say, I don't know about the theories, but I do know this. The behavior of the Vatican over these 36 years has been one of secrecy and lack of collaboration. And it has been, and it has made me think that there are leaders within the Vatican who know what happened. So that's as much as I have on the case. There are several different documentaries that I encourage you to look up. All of it is intriguing in and of itself and also very sad. I, as far as the princess graves, those things can happen. They probably were moved. It's still an odd coincidence that leads people to connect all this up. And it's, it's very intriguing, but just looking at the lives and the potential that there could be this cover-up, the sex trafficking, even if they were, it wasn't a larger ring, the fact that they were being targeted in that area, that's enough to look into and, and bring up, tell people, yes, we found this, but that probably won't happen uh, even if it did actually occur. So I wanted to end, like I had promised, with a Beakers Up, and I wanted to give a little 
shout out to Pride Month. According to Newsweek and People, some of this I was familiar with and, and some of this I was not. So let's talk about the beginning. The beginning of Pride Month came about in the roots of the Stonewall Riots in June of 69 in New York City, which the Stonewall Inn was actually ironically owned by the mob. Police had arrested bar employees and the patrons confronted them, so tired of the treatment from law enforcement and pretty much everyone else outside the bar, um, outside of their tight circle of friends. This uprising lasted five days. The Stonewall Inn was declared a historic landmark in 2015, then upgraded by President Obama to a national monument in 2016. I did not know that. This year marks the 52nd anniversary. Let's now talk about the symbol. Now we're all familiar with the rainbow flag. However, it was designed by artist Gilbert Baker in 1978, and each color has its own significance. Red equals life, orange healing, Yellow, of course, sunshine, green, nature, blue is harmony, and purple is spirit. There was an original flag with eight colors and had the addition of hot pink to represent sex and turquoise for magic or art, which I really like the idea of that as well. In 2021, it was updated again to show support for Black Lives Matter to include this color, black, for diversity, brown for inclusivity, along with light blue and pink, which are the colors of the trans pride flag. A few major figures, Marsha P. Johnson, a black trans woman known for being a tour de force in the gay community. She was actually at Stonewall celebrating her 25th birthday, and she was credited with being the first, the person to throw the first punch. There is controversy on that, which we'll see in a second, kind of controversy. A bust of her was erected near the location, according to CNN.com, and revealed on her 76th birthday. Sylvia Rivera. She's an activist drag queen that fought beside Marsha and created a help house for homeless LGBTQ youth called STAR, stands for Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. Love that name. Revolutionaries. Stormy. Dilar Vieri, fellow activist and drag performer, also at the Stonewall Inn when it was raided, a friend of hers said it was rumored that Stormy was the actual person throwing that punch. Stormy says, yes, she did tell me that it was her. So not really a controversy, but you know, hey, maybe several people just threw that punch at the same time, you know, or around the same time. They all kind of threw a punch, didn't they? Figuratively and literally. Crime Keeper, Beaker's Up. Well, we did it once again. Lab rats. I think I smell. Up, up. And yep, it's there. It's Queen V trying to lure me back into the lab with these smells of those delicious, delicious fish heads. Well, lab rats, I must depart, but you know that everyone has to find their truth. And mine Ippy Abby Normal. If you enjoy the experience and experiments of Murder Lab, go to Facebook, Instagram, and MurderLabMedia.com for updates. Share with your friends, those you created in a lab or not, as long as they can subscribe and listen, we'll take it. Murder Lab is available on Google Play and iTunes. The RSS feed is on MurderLabMedia.com for you to plug into your podcast app. We can always use more lab rats.